Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 94 MBA Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros MBA. It's our first episode in two or three weeks. Last episode we had was a great one with Jackson Frank, but uh, alas, there is no guest today. You are stuck with Corbin and myself. Uh, it is December 7th. Corbin, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. You're right. We're going to make up for the absence of the great Jackson Frank, but I think we can do it. It's been a minute, but we'll get right back into it. Well, what's going to help us is a great set of mailbag questions that we got from everyone on Twitter. Thank you all that sent in really good questions. Um, let's just get started right, right away with our first one from, um, oof, I'm going to put, I'm going to butcher this, at Octer97, um, A-U-C-H-T-E-R-9-7. Um, they ask, is it more likely that all three Texas teams make or miss the playoffs? Um, and this was a tough question only because it makes you pick and like the extreme on either end. Um, but I think I'm going to go with make only because, and this is tough after what they did last night, but only, the, uh, only because I still find it nearly inconceivable that the Rockets missed the playoffs. Um, obviously last night they were just abysmal again, but they're still like, I think they're two games out of the eighth seed. Um, I don't think they're going to be a good team. I think they're going to, but I still think it'd be a complete, I mean, I think if you asked anyone, if you asked a hundred people, if they think the Rockets are making the playoffs, I really think that 99 of them are going to say yes. And because of that, and because the other the Mavericks are playing well and the Spurs, the Spurs are worse than the Rockets off right now, um, but I, I feel like it's more likely that the Rockets and Spurs turn it around enough than all three of those teams miss out, especially the Rockets. Um, but even the Mavs are playing well and the Spurs, you know, they're the Spurs. I mean, I didn't pick them to make the playoffs going into the season, but they still have a track record of success and I think we can kind of maybe expect them to do a little bit better moving forward but I don't see them as a playoff team so I feel like you know obviously I'm kind of you're kind of forced into a corner in this question Um, but I think I have more faith in the Rockets and Spurs turning it around just enough than I do the Rockets continuing to just completely fall apart and miss out on the playoffs completely so I'll go with it's more likely that all three make the playoffs. See, I'm going to have to take the opposite stance. I'm I'm going to say it's more likely they don't and it's kind of hard for me to do that because Houston is that team that I mean, there, there should be a lock to make the playoffs, just just of all the teams. San Antonio, you could definitely make a case for them going against just because their defense is just horrible, um, and they've just been getting shell-shocked lately. And then Dallas, I mean, they're a rebuilding team, so they're playing better than expected. But it, I don't think you could, you know, would have a hard time finding any takers to find them out of the playoffs. However, Houston, I don't know, man. You've kind of referenced this on Twitter. I, I see heavy shades of uh, the 2015-2016 Rockets that were just, like, we would have said the exact same thing back then. They 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 should have made the playoffs. I mean I mean, and for whatever reason, just what they were like forty one forty one. If I remember, yeah, was that right? They they yeah. did. They made the playoffs. So. They did make the playoffs, but like but in the sense that basically didn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they were they were, but the, like they meandered all the way through to the finish. Is what I mean to say. Yeah, yeah they definitely made the playoffs then. But like um, it was definitely a struggle for a team that, for whatever reason, I mean they were supposed to be better than expected back then. Um, and I think they had a lot more locker room dysfunction. I mean, Dwight Howard was in the building, and when that happens, I mean, you know, there's problems. <laughs> However, this team doesn't seem to have that same type of locker room issue, but for whatever reason, they just don't have that that mojo, that juice. It's not there. And so I could definitely see myself starting to come up to the opinion that they would come up short and pull up lame down the stretch of the, of the, of the run for the playoffs toward the end of the season. I mean, it's not out of the realm of reality for me anymore. Yeah, um, you know, for that with the Rockets specifically, it's really interesting that people, 
people seem to not want to talk about really people don't want to make it as simple as it really is in that sure they had the injuries that's the excuse for the first couple of weeks of the season but they've been healthy for about a week now and they've had some bad losses and really what it comes down to is and I know people either aren't paying attention to this or don't want to make it sound as like dumb and simple as it is they're just not playing well. They're top players. Chris Paul is having the worst season of his career. Eric Gordon has been one of the worst players in the league so far this season. James Harden is putting up numbers and is kind of hit or miss. Offensively, defensively, has been a complete, uh, not a complete disaster, but, but bad on most nights. Um, Clint Capella is putting up the best numbers of his career, and he's putting up some really, really good offensive numbers, but his defense is not at the level of last year. Uh, and then they have completely, they have com- absolutely completely no depth on this team. So, I don't know if people want to, don't want to say that because they don't want to insult the players or they don't want to make it sound too simple. People want to you know provide the detailed analysis, but really what it comes down to, if you look at the numbers and if you watch the games, all their all their most important players basically are not playing well or, or not playing where the levels where they should be playing, and they have no depth. And you 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 put those two things together with a somewhat rough schedule, and that's this is what you get. It, not the, there's no locker room like you said. Apparently, there's no locker room issues, but who knows? Maybe right. maybe a month or two from now, something will finally come out. The athletic will get it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, something will come out eventually. Um, but as of right now, on the surface, it just appears that they are not. Pl- and, and it's really weird. I tweeted this last night that it's like funny because literally everything. The worst case scenario for basically every player on this team is happening at the same time, almost. Um, which is sure. which almost never happens, which is why everyone's so shocked by it. But literally, they are just not playing well. And I think that teams are you know well equipped to, to guard their isolations recently. Um, now that they've had more time to kind of scout it, obviously it helps when Chris Paul looks like he's taking a step back. Harden has been good, but not you know obviously at last year's level. Gordon has been awful, um, and then you know beneath the surface, the defense has been bad. They don't have the defensive uh, personnel, and they don't have the intensity and. You know, maybe people aren't in shape or there's something going on with the coaching staff or the mellow addition and subtraction is messed around with them or maybe they're just down because of the off season and who knows. But really what they need to do is, you know, they just realize that they're not out of it, obviously, but they're definitely not out of it for the playoffs, but they're not even out of it for a top four seed if they actually just somehow turned it around and started playing somewhere close to last year's level, which is not out of the question. I wouldn't count on it, but I wouldn't rule them out for a quick, you know, winning streak to put them back in the playoff picture. But I, I do like that you brought it up that this is... I mean, I kind of brought it up last night, but then you mentioned it again. Like, this is kind of like 2015-16, but like the reversed end of it because there's no chemistry issues and it's all pretty much all on-the-floor performance, which is really shocking. Yeah. I mean, I, who would have thought this? Well, actually, that's not true. I was going to say a lot of people had, you know, already predicted the Rockets' early demise, the loss of uh, the win players that I mention every time we talk about the Rockets. However, <laughs> it is just like you mentioned where – you know, the the worst possible thing that could happen to a team for whatever stretch, you know, for whatever reason, happen. And I'm just going to go and piggyback off that because I don't see a question on that. But Chris Paul, what, what if, if I could ask, what do you think is going on with him? Because I don't know whether to chalk it up to him just recovering back from injury or is this like a way too super early decline where a player just drops off the map, you know, very quickly. Um you know, I I don't really know how to how to sum up his recent performances. He's not getting enough separation on the step backs. He's not really seeming to play with the same force he had. And yes, he was injured, but like it it seems like it's been like this way all this season. Even early when he was putting up good performances before he got that suspension. Yeah, well, so technically there isn't a question directly about Chris Paul, but there is a question from at Kennedy Courtney. Um, ah. says, what players disappointed you the most so far? And my answer oh, is yeah. Chris Paul. So I guess I'll, I'll guess it makes sense to transition there. Uh, like. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like you mentioned, he has been 
uh, nowhere close to the level people expected um, and the level he's been, you know, even from last year so far this season. And basically, if you look at his stats and you look at a mix of the advanced metrics and the traditional stats, Paul is having the worst season of his career, in my opinion. Um, so he's got the lowest PER, the lowest box plus minus, the lowest win shares per 48 minutes. Those are all the lowest of his careers. He's got nearly identical counting stats, you know, points, assists, rebounds. Um, you know, the shooting percentages are, are higher this year than they were in his rookie year, but not by that much. This year, 16.4 points, 8 assists, 4.5 rebounds. Rookie season back in 05, 06, um, 16 points, 8 assists, 5 rebounds. Basically the same. And then the advanced metrics are either at the career lows this season or, or a little bit higher by a slim margin to his rookie season. So I took that upon myself to say he's having the worst season of his career. And I think, like, we had a, little, a brief Twitter um, engagement last night where I kind of said, you know, I think I don't think he's 100%. Um, I think he's probably like 80-ish percent, but they rushed him back when they were losing those three straight games without him. Um, he like got good enough to play in a game, but I don't think he's anywhere close to 100%. Um, but regardless, even at 100%, you know, even earlier in the year when he was supposedly healthy, um, before he got the first injury, because he missed the first, he missed two games early on because of the suspension, not because of injury. So even in those games, he was not looking like himself. The three ball is not falling. He's down to 34.5%, um, which is the worst since he's shot in six years. Um, he's not getting to the line as much. He's not hitting his free throws as much. Um, he's turning the ball over 3.3 times per game, which is a career high, actually. Um, again, Chris Paul's always known for taking care of the ball. He gets no... Like you said, the key thing, what makes it so glaring is that the team, obviously, the their main point of offense is getting him onto a... Getting a big onto him and having him isolate. And he has not shown the ability to get to the rim or get an easy look on the majority of times that he's done it. Last year, he could you know get to his mid-range jumper or get to the rim or at least open up a shot for somebody else. But at this point... First of all, they don't have enough shooters around him so they can kind of crowd the paint when he tries to drive. And then he's shooting these ridiculous high-arcing mid-range shots to get above the center because he doesn't create separation yet. So I'm not going to rule him out completely. Obviously, there could be a stretch or a two-week stretch where he looks, you know, like he did last year or in, the, you know, in his prime. Um, but for the first year of that four-year contract extension to see him playing like this, I mean, he's got a negative defensive box plus minus for the first time since 2011. Um, even defensively, he's not there. And I think it's part injury, maybe part just, you know, just annoyance, I guess, with the team's play, and part cold stretch, which we're still early in the season. So, you know, he's played in 19 games. It's possible that you can have a cold stretch for, you know, 10 or so of those games. Um, and obviously, recently, he's been pretty bad. So I'm not ruling him out completely, but definitely a concerning trend and definitely the reason why he's the player that's disappointed me the most so far this season to answer that mailbag question. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is I was just going to agree with you because uh, someone who I was already kind of leery of, this, this, the contract extension he was going to get, re-signing for the years and the, and the money he was going to get, that that had to happen for a player of Chris Paul's caliber. I was worried that a, a decline would come up shortly just because of his long injury issues and everything. So maybe I'm on the negative side of that, but and you already read all the numbers, which was just, wow, even more telling. It just seems like, I test-wise, yeah, it's, it's not... Even 80%, if this is 80% Chris Paul, I shudder because we remember seeing Chris Paul play injured or, or, or just coming off an injury in L.A., and it still wasn't as bad as it looked. Like, even yesterday, there were several times in isolation where the shot was partially deflected, barely got over the outstretched arm of the defender. You know, uncharacteristic turnovers for him, passes that even I knew weren't going to go, you know, to their intended target. And that was happening last night over and over. I mean, I just... I, I don't know if, you know, like you said, 80%, this is still 80% of Chris Paul. This isn't the point God that we all know and love. You know, this is, 
I, I, I hate to say it, but I'm starting to wonder if maybe <laughs> he's already starting to lose some of that juice already. Um, and, and that would be con- concerning slightly to me. Yeah. But, um, wait, let me just add a quick thing. Yeah. So yeah. 33 years old at this point, when you hit 33, it's kind of like you're, you're definitely on the way down from there on out. I don't think they expected this to start this season. And maybe again, maybe he will come back and by the end of the year, he plays at a similar level, but for all these people that are saying, oh, they shouldn't have given him that contract. Oh, they're going to regret that. What else were they going to do? I mean, yep. people don't understand. If they didn't give him that money, they still didn't have the cap space to, to spend it on somebody else. It's not like they could have just said, okay, Chris, you're too old. We're going to replace you with somebody else. And, you know, especially, say, someone else near your caliber because no one was available for their price range and they didn't have any money to spend. So, of course, four years is long. Five years would have been a disaster. You know, if you give him a three-year offer, you're kind of insulting him because, remember, to initiate that trade to the Rockets, he took his player option, um, and which obviously cost him some money last year. So they wanted to make up for it and give him the, the full max for four years. So these people that are like, oh, they shouldn't have given him that contract. Well, they were not going to do anything else. They couldn't do anything else. And they just came off 65 wins and a game seven loss in the Western Conference Finals where he missed the last two games. In their mind, they think that they can basically run it back with him and Harden and Capella and role players and get another crack at it. Obviously, it hasn't played out that way. But for those people saying, oh, they shouldn't have given him that contract, they were going to and they had to. That's all. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, yeah, it's as simple as that. I mean, on my end for – since you basically, by and large, already have uh, Chris Paul, I'm going to go with Michael Beasley. No, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, although I will just throw this out there. There's been – I think the Athletic reported Joe Varden that the Lakers were interested in um, Carmelo Anthony, and then there was some pushback on that, and Mark Stein said something to the effect of, you know, hey – keep your eyes out because Michael Beasley has been disappointing, you know, or not worked out, panned out for the Lakers. I strongly disagree with that. Having watched the Lakers games, I think that the Lakers are not playing Michael Beasley enough. And that honestly, if you get Carmelo Anthony, you would just be getting him for the role that Michael Beasley would be performing as is, which is instant offense, heat up in a second, you know, bring some uh, diversity on, on as far as, uh, or versatility and floor stretching ability across the swingman positions and get a shot. And you bring him in for five, ten minutes a game, and you do just fine. I don't like the fact he's been sitting for as long as he has, and those minutes have been going to um, Lance Stevenson, and he clearly has not been producing in this most recent stretch of, like, five to ten games. But moving right along, um, I'm going to go with, and this wasn't a play I really had high hopes for, but, I mean, it was a lottery pick. It was kind of big. I mean, I was kind of floating out ideas that maybe they could make a trade to send him over to Phoenix, who needed a point guard. It's Frank Nilikina. Um, I, I don't really know what's the deal with him, but yesterday, basically, the Knicks got blown out, 128 to 100 to the Celtics. Frank Nilikina and one other player, Ron Baker, were the only members of the Knicks team to not have a plus minus in the negative. And that wasn't good because neither of them actually played. Um <laughs> <laughs> Frank Nilekina, basically, this is third straight DMP coach's decision. Um, this is a guy, again, great defender, selected with the eighth spot in the 2017 draft um, ahead of Donovan Mitchell, which just looks horrible now. Um, you know, he seems to be a little surprised by the whole move. The Knicks thought he'd be a great two way player. Um, his offense has struggled. I think he's shooting, last I checked, what, 39.2 um, effective field goal percentage. Can't really hit a three to save his life. Not as aggressive as the Knicks would like. However, I, I do think this is a year where. I don't know. There there was teams that had interest in him. I know the Orlando Magic didn't really have a point guard that they were going to grow into unless they think DJ Augustine's going to be J.J. Barea. Um, Phoenix Suns, we already know about their point guard issues and and having a defender um, with him, you know, alongside Devin Booker. Um, The Brooklyn Nets continue to fly. There was a lot of teams at the beginning, I mean, the beginning of the season or 
up to where he was floated around in the list along with Spencer Dinwiddie and um, Fred Van Fleet of point guards that are on current teams that could go to other teams that would have a bigger need for them. And then he goes from that to not even being, you know, uh, not even playing. Um, the jury's still out. I'm not sure why he's not matching up well. I kind of got to look at the advanced numbers for that. Um, he's been the elite defender, so it's not that. And, you know, Coach Vistel has interesting um, <laughs> interesting coaching decisions and roster lineups and stuff that he's been doing since Memphis. But his offense is just so far away, and I really thought that that was going to improve this year. And it really hasn't. Um, 23 minutes a game, he's averaging 5.9 points and 2.7 assists. Last year, he had the worst effective field goal percentage of any player to qualify for the minutes per game leaderboard. He's actually shooting worse this season, okay? Oh, <laughs> like, he talked about being more assertive and being, you know, uh, and being more aggressive, um, creating his own offense on ball. He's taking less shots per minute and per possession. So he's just the Benjamin Button in, in the negative trend of, of point guards out there. And it's disappointing. Um, only player who's had a worse free throw rate is, um, my one and only Lord and Savior Lonzo Ball. So uh, it's just he would be the player for me that not is not going to get a lot of love as far as um, being very disappointing because the let's say the the measurement for him wasn't that high going in. But I really thought fondly of him as someone who could get a lot more run on this Knicks team without a Kristaps Porzingis that needed someone to go with the Kevin Knox and and uh, you know other players that are up there young that are growing and he just hasn't delivered. So there's my rant on him. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't. They've taken away his role, basically, and, and for them, and a the reason why they've done that is because Emmanuel Moutier has actually been yes. actually been like a decent player. I mean, a solid rotational player, Surprise. which is one of the most surprising developments of the season. Um, and then they got Trey Burke there for some scoring. So I, mean, I, I still am against them completely just not playing him, um, especially if you want to try and give him some trade value. Um, but yeah, he's definitely disappointing. And one player I want to mention before we move on, it's Jalen Brown, who's having a rough season. I mean, oh he is shooting under 40% from the field, 25% on three-pointers. Um, he's got an 8.7 PER. Just remember, 15 is league average. He's got 8.7. He's got a negative 16 net rating. A negative 16, a negative 3.9 box plus minus. I mean, for a guy who last season projected so much of this 3 and D caliber, hitting threes at an above-average rate, playing solid defense, showing off that athletic burst. I mean, this season, he can't shoot the ball to save his life, um, and the team is significantly better with him off the floor. It, it's, I'm not saying, I'm not giving up on him, obviously, but it's definitely not what you want to see from, from, from that young wing, um, especially because he, he and, and, and Jason Tatum are, are the, kind of the future of the team moving forward, obviously, behind Kyrie and, and, and Hayward and Horford to an extent. Um, so I'll give a small mention to Jalen Brown for most disappointing for me as well. Yeah, he, he has to have that. You're right. Cause wow. I mean, <laughs> and coming off the bench, do you think that's a role for moving forward? I mean, obviously I think the, and I think Nate Duncan actually said this on his uh, 15 and 60, but the best Celtics lineup has Jalen Brown in that starting five. But right now, I mean, with how bad he's been playing and surprisingly. So what, what would be your alternative to try to fix that? I mean, for now, playing him off the bench kind of makes sense for them just because the numbers, again, like they say, they've been so much better with him off the floor. You know, Marcus Smart is shooting less threes and actually hitting a better percentage of them. Obviously, still well below average at 31%, but he's taking less shots, so he seems a little bit more under control, um, which is good for them if he's playing in the starting lineup. Um, but then you, you got to play like guys like Morris, um, who's just giving them he's just giving them more than Brown is right now. And obviously, it's not great when you like demote the young players to the bench role can kind of hurt. And we've heard this discussion for guys like Marco Fultz as well when he was healthy. Like what does it does what it does to them mentally if you put them to the bench role. But as of right now, 
I agree. Their best lineups in the playoffs will be with Brown on the floor, with Tatum, Hayward, Kyrie, and Horford. But as of right now, if they're trying to win games in the regular season, which they are trying to do, and allow Brown to you know rebuild and regain his confidence, I still agree with putting him, moving him to the bench for now. And maybe you know later on in the regular season, you move him back just so you can have more playing time with that um, five band unit that we all think is their best unit come playoff time. Yeah, I mean that makes sense to me. I just wasn't sure. Well. All right, let's get to one by our own Scott Levine. Who are some under-the-radar or restricted free agents that teams should target in 2019? And which teams? This was a tough one for me. I'm really going to defer mostly to you and kind of chip in where I can. But I'm high on D'Angelo Russell, so moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this was tough because it's always tough when someone asks asks about under-the-radar. Um, because it's like, you kind of want to know like, whose radar are we talking about? You know, obviously yeah, right. people on like people like you and me know guys, know fringe NBA players that the majority of, of the casual fans have no idea who they are, that they think it's a made up <laughs> name or something like that. Um, sure. so I think, and this is what I did. I think that based on either their reputation or their level of play this season, I think I put Terry Rozier, Telly Oubre, Willie Cauley-Stein and Bobby Portis as not under the radar. So I didn't count them on my list. Um, that's, I guess, fair for some of them. I'm sure a lot of people would probably consider a guy like Bobby Portis or Kali Stein to be under the radar. I definitely think Rozier's not based on his playoffs last year. And everyone's been talking about him, you know, becoming a restricted free agent and maybe a team that needs a point guard can, can trade or sign him. But a general list that I put together of restricted free agents that I would be looking into, even though it's not team specific, we've got Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleber from the uh, Dallas Mavericks. Both guys play tough defense. Kleber is great. He's a shot blocker. They can also hit threes as a big man. Um, Finney Smith is showing a little bit more of a, of a shot, but he's really just there for wing defense, which again is, is really valuable. Um, I still haven't given complete hope up on Stanley Johnson. I wouldn't be throwing a lot of money his way, but again, a guy that can play defense. That game when Detroit stole that game at the buzzer in Toronto, um, Stanley Johnson played some really good defense on Kawhi Leonard down the stretch of that game, and that really impressed me. Obviously, the offense hasn't come and at this point his career is not going to come but the defense is still there for a moment so I would be interested in in looking at him I think Jordan Bell from the Warriors is obviously a guy um, small ball big who just knows where he can be very athletic Um, Rodney McGruder from the Heat is another one kind of a 3 and D wing mold um, type Um, Malcolm Brogdon as a dynamic scorer in the backcourt ball handler can shoot the ball doesn't really give you much defensively but again you, you can plug in around him um, and my final two guys, Tyus Jones and DeLon Wright, uh, two guards. Um, Tyus, again, is buried in, in Minnesota, um, like a lot of guys are now that they've made the trades, and they've got Derrick Rose playing better, and they've got Jeff Teague above him making all that money. Um, but he got capable ball handler, DeLon Wright, capable defense, got long wingspan, um, and can kind of hit the three a little bit. So those are a, that's a quick general list of, of people that I came up with when just going through rosters and seeing, a, a, you know, think of players who are going to be restricted free agents. Um and then looking at the team perspective, that's probably the hardest part of the question. Um, because usually when it comes to like restricted free agents, I feel like it's just, it's rebuilding teams that have cap space, but that they have cap space that they weren't able to use on an unrestricted free agent or even their free agency targets. Those are the te- type of teams that should probably look to use it on some restricted free agents, which is basically what the Nets have done in recent seasons. They do that offer at Crab. They do the offer at Tyler Johnson. Of course, the Heat and Blazers both matched it. Then, of course, they traded for Crab, which has been a disaster. Then they threw the, the offer at Porter, which has been hamstringing the Wizards financially. They honestly, the Nets could honestly be another team to do it again this year. But I hesitate to say that because, one, they have real cap space aspirations for other players. And two, they have to solve their own restricted free agency situations with, with 
like you mentioned, D'Angelo Russell and Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Um, I think maybe the Hawks could look to add more wings or another big around Kevin uh, Kevin Hoyter and Trey Young and John Collins and Torian Prince. I think that the Bulls and Cavs could look to add some like defen- defensive-minded restricted free agents, maybe a Kleba, maybe a Finney Smith, maybe a Stanley Johnson, a Magruder or something like that. Um, I, I really focus on rebuilding teams that have some cap space but are not going to be players for the big names or players for even unrestricted free agents that have you know, free choice to choose where they're going. Restricted free agents obviously don't have, you know, free choice to, to, to know where they're going. Um, so, yeah, those are my guys, and those are a couple of teams that came to mind as, in terms of teams that could actually be in the running for some of these restricted free agents. I like it. No, that's a really good thing. I'm very interested in Brooklyn, seeing what they do. Um, also, I was going to name another team that I that I don't think is going to be in the running for any team, but um, Phoenix. <laughs> Just, uh, True. I, I, yeah, they're, they're ugh, man. Um, however, as far as, under the radar restricted free agents, I would keep an eye out on Alex Caruso, man. Like, he's a heady point. Okay, I can't. Um, <laughs> okay, so I tried it. Um, as far as restricted free agents that I think would be pretty interesting, um, for this upcoming year, I just I just remembered. Oh, my God. Okay, I know Jordan Bell's one. He's not really under the radar, but I think he's an interesting big, although I do expect him to uh, find his way back. Um, you already mentioned... Max Kleber, who's been really cool. David Nawaba is a great defender. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in, expanded his offense in Cleveland a little bit in the run that he's been given. So I expect that to grow. And if so, then you have another kind of swingman who can, you know, grow to be at least a decent 3 and D type player. Um, Frank Kaminsky has been lifted out of the Charlotte Hornets just more ass of big men who didn't get really, really didn't get playing time. And the dude is a real cable stretch big. Um, I'm high on him, I think, with more playing time. He can, I mean, he's defensively still just atrocious, but offensively is able to stretch the floor and has really shown a lot more confidence in the offensive game. I remember watching a few of his games recently, and it's really, really been um, cool to see him just kind of take it to the post, especially against players who, you know, like he's not backing down from. I know he had a good one against um, Philadelphia recently I was really into. Um, Rondé Hollis Jefferson is interesting to me. You kind of did touch on him. I don't know if I like him as a player because of his complete inability to shoot and his undersize at the four and five. Um, I remember Brooklyn using him at the five when they had an injury to, uh, I think Jared Allen was injured or out if I remember, but they used him at the five and he just got hammered. Um, especially playing against Minnesota in one particular matchup against Carly Towns. I think Towns went off for like 35. He really doesn't have the girth or the bulk to really bang around like that. And he does not play bigger than his size. Unlike another, uh, restricted free agent, Daniel Tice, um, from Boston who I actually do like, um, decent mid range shot, only six, eight, but definitely does play, you know, like legit big in, in that sense. Um, D'Angelo Russell, for all of the, you know, flack he's caught, um, not getting to the rim effectively, um, you know, defensively not really being a lockdown defender, to put it lightly. I do like his offense, um, his three-point shooting, and I think, you know, with Brooklyn, he's had the chance to really kind of play up and down. I think maybe get him on a team that has even more of a loose kind of free-flowing offense which I guess is hard to find when you're in Brooklyn. Like, Kenny Atkinson does a great job there. But I think maybe a change of scenery with him would be even great. Um, and then lastly, I was going to say Malcolm Brogdon. Um, <laughs> but I, I really am um, – Czech Diallo, I think, is a good big in New Orleans. That, I mean, he's not going to get you much more than, you know, a capable uh, second-string kind of minutes because I don't see that much potential in on that stretch. But I really think that he's a good player to keep an eye on. And Alex Sabrinas, you can't forget him. Great shooter in OKC, been doing very well. Um, and kind of growing some chops in the defensive end. Yeah, I mean, there are a bunch of guys who are going to probably be pretty 
be pretty cheap, um, and especially a lot of teams with cap space. If you give them a, if you give one of those teams restricted free agents an offer early on and tie up their cap space, you can get a lot of these guys. Um, but yeah, let's move on um, to a question from at C Toma twenty four. Um, he asks, is is Nuggets' great start sustainable, or will they balance out as the season goes on? So, I mean, we're we're over a quarter into the season right now, so I'm buying this more as the standard rather than an outlier at this point. If it's a 10-game sample, sure, you get to 20 games, you know, even 20 games could be kind of fluky. We're, we're you know, they're at, what is their record now? I think they're 18-7. and seven. Um, So they're, you know, they're at that point where it's looking to be not as much a fluke and not as much a small sample size. Sorry, 17-7. and seven. So they play 24 games. Um Really, what's funny about this is I think that their offense can actually improve. Um, they're currently seventh, which is obviously great, but I think that they can actually still jump into the top five because they're going to get Isaiah Thomas and Will Barton come back, you know, in the next month or so. And even then, they aren't shooting well at all. They're, I mean, they're fine. They're thirteenth as a team in terms of three point percentage, but their top three guys, Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, and Jokic, are all below thirty two and a half percent, which is you know below their career averages and below what we expect from them. If they get back to their averages from beyond the arc they get barton get they get isaiah thomas back that's the makings of a top five maybe even top three offense now i think the defense could take a slight hit especially when thomas and barton return because they're not really exactly known for the defense especially isaiah thomas um i do have a concern about their defense over the long haul because they give up a lot of shots at the rim they're 28th in the league uh in opponents frequency of, of shots attempted at the rim and from beyond the arc they're 25th um, and again, in a, the frequency of shots attempted from beyond the arc for opponents, but they're 30th in corner threes attempted, which means they give up the most corner threes in the league, which again wow. are the best three pointers to give up or the best three point shots for, for opponents. Um, and yet they're, they're second in opponent three point percentage. So they give up the 25th most, uh, the 25th lowest rank of, of three pointers attempted, but they're second in opponent three point percentage, which I feel like. I mean, I haven't really watched some exact film on why why opponents are shooting so poorly against them, but I feel like there could be some progression to the mean for their opponents and the fact that they'll just start shooting a little bit better from three. I mean, you're giving up you're giving up a lot of shots at the rim and a lot of shots from beyond the arc. The two of the best shots analytically um, is not a great sign for your defense moving forward. Um, so who knows if who knows if they're going to finish top ten defensively this season? I think they're going to be above average. Um, Paul Millsap has been huge for them. Um, but I do think they're going to settle in as a top three or four seed this season. I think their offense can improve, which will make up for their slight hit the defense is going to take. And I think this is a great – I think this great start is maybe not fully sustainable, but definitely we're looking at a top three or four seed. Okay, yeah. I'm, well, I do the same. They're, they're just, I think, missing – and this is more not even um, like numbers-wise, but just as a team being so close last year, you know, making it in the year before – and, and falling short, they're they're hungry. You know, they're hungry to get there, and I don't think that they're going to fall out too deep. I think this is sustainable, like you said. Um, yeah, this this team, they're legit, and, I mean, they're scary. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go on because the Nuggets scare me, and <laughs> I, I, you know what's funny? I'm, I'm just going to go on a quick tangent here. Um, do you think, okay, they're obviously not going to be in the number one seat, right? But do you, you're obviously thinking top five. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, cool. So they still could be behind my Lakers and the Thunder. Okay, that's all I wanted to <laughs> know. All right. So um, another question. At 
Oh man, you know what? This is uh, at Packa underscore Flocka. I struggled with this question. Give a starting five of guys we should become fans of before they become mainstream. I really think me and you have done a great job with Randall Watch and like you know um, Kemba Ballin, and even though he's not even, um, he's he's definitely mainstream. But like of keeping track of guys that we've liked. You know, whether it's our mm-hmm. own team, my own fandom, <clears throat> Josh Hart, or, or you know, other players that have just been doing good that haven't really gotten a lot, not enough love. So it was really hard for me to come up with five guys. I'm sure, you know, you, you managed to do it. But, um, well, I have, but, to, I have yeah. to clarify this by saying that I had prepared notes for every single question we got. And then I, we were about to start recording, or it was like 10 minutes before we were going to record. And I look back at my notes, and I realized that I didn't have notes for this question. So uh, I quickly came up with notes, which is why I think I'm probably missing a bunch of people when I give out my list. Um, but I do want to clarify that, but I, I feel bad. I missed this question. I bolded all the other questions, but didn't bold this one. So it didn't stick out to me when I was visually and I was looking down the list. Um, but I do have some notes for it, but I'll, I'll hear your list first. Okay. <laughs> well, mine is pretty much ex Lakers. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, one guy like, um, Rashawn Holmes is a, is a player in, in Phoenix that I think, is he plays hard, he's active, rebounding monster, um, plays above the rim. Um, and because he's in Phoenix, I think that pretty much says all you need to know. But he's a player I like. Um, another one that hasn't become mainstream, I'm telling you, I struggled so hard on this. Um, because every player I was thinking was there. Josh Hart, I'm just going to make more love for him. He's, I mean, he already has just by... He was already big last year by being a second-round pick who played, you know, better than expected. And I think that love has gotten more as he's one of the few Lakers who seems to just mesh perfectly playing, playing with LeBron James. But, for example, um, the recent game against the Spurs, um, he went and played. He was gotten fouled up really early. I think he picked up like three fouls in like 20 seconds. Or it might have been three fouls in 40 seconds. It was definitely one of those two numbers. Could barely go on the court. At our time, come fourth quarter, come crunch time, he only scored six points. Both those points came on killer threes off of LeBron penetration in crunch time of uh, uh, Lakers win over the Spurs. And that's the type of player that he is. He's not high usage. He's low usage, but he can create his own shot. He was a revelation at Summer League, which is where he got a lot of press. Um, he's still a very good defender, um, shooting just great from three. He, he's, he's a player. He's a real good player. And I, I really think that, He's someone that he gets some. Like I said, just by being in LeBron's um, gravitational pull, you know they're going to look at the, the Kyle Kuzmas and and the um, Josh Hart's more even as much as they would the Brandon Ingrams and the Lonzo Balls. But he's another player who I think is just a really solid dude. Um, in Detroit, I haven't really gained. I mean, he's been getting more time recently. I like Glenn Robinson the second. I've always liked him as a player. Um, I don't really know how high his ceiling is, but as just a serviceable wingman who can kind of get his own offense and shoot pretty decent from three. That's someone I definitely think um, and I should be kept on. And then I'm going to try to find one of the guys that I just, ugh. Um, we're going to go down. You know, okay. So he's not even under the radar, really. And this is where I had all of my problems. But I think he's been a really solid player, um, Jeremy Lamb in Charlotte. Um, you know, he's not really bringing that much. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about how little help. Kemba Walker has up in Charlotte and, you know, and, 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 um, and why he has to take such an absurd load. But Jeremy Lamb's been pretty solid. Does his job, gets you about 15 points a game. Um, decent offense. Can, the only other guy, it seems, on Charlotte other than Kemba Walker and a distant Tony Parker who curators on offense. And I just like the dude. 
And so we're going to go with him. I hope that this question wasn't really based off of upside because I think three of my players there are just kind of who they are. Mm-hmm. But these are players who are, you know, they're, they're decent players who don't get looked at that much. Yeah. Um, so I, I ended up with a list, and I didn't try for it when I was making the list, but I ended up with a list of mostly young guys, um, yes. even yeah. though I didn't try for it. And I try to focus on guys that aren't actually mainstream. I, I mean, as opposed to being like NBA Twitter mainstream, because I feel like it's easier to become quote-unquote mainstream on, on NBA Twitter. Um, but So here's my list of, of, of a bunch of guys. I think if we're going for guards, Jeremy Lamb is also on my list. Um, it helps that I have him on my Dynasty Fantasy Basketball League, and he is putting up numbers. I mean, 15 and 5, pretty much, like you said. What he, I said yeah. he creates some offense, hitting his shots. Um, and this is the second year in a row that he's having a good year. You know, last year, you know, was it a, people thought, was it a fluke? This year he's entering his contract year, so maybe he's playing for that contract. But the way he's playing, he's going to earn himself. I mean, he's on a, he was on a three-year $21 million deal that he signed when he got to Charlotte a couple years ago. I think he can get probably even maybe a little bit more money than that next summer if he keeps playing like this. Um, Shea Gilgis-Alexander um, has been really, really impressive as a rookie um, right. guard for the Clippers. Um, and I think that he's someone who projects to be, you know, a starting point guard and starting and gives you defense. He gives you some playmaking. He just he seems like a guy who just knows where to be and how to play the game, which you don't really get from a lot of rookies, especially guards. Um, guy I mentioned before, Rodney Magruder, um, as a kind of a three and D wing. Um, definitely don't think he's mainstream yet. I don't think he ever will become mainstream, which is a, a key part of my list is that um, <laughs> not only do I think I'm probably missing a bunch of people because, like I said, I prepared notes for this question literally right before recording, but I also don't think or I don't really know or think that most of these guys will ever actually become mainstream. Um, but these are this list is basically I took this list as who are role players that I like that people should be talking about more. Um, or maybe not all role players, but a lot of them are role players. Um, so Magruder is one of them. Then we're getting into more of the front court players. Maxi Kleber, like I mentioned before, Pascal Siakam, everyone's talking about on Twitter, but I don't think enough people are talking about him outside of Twitter in terms of being mainstream. And he's just been, he's been the third best Raptor this year, um, provides length. He can handle the ball. He can run tra- in transition. Um, just, a, just a, such a dynamic player. Um, probably the, the best player on this list or the most well-known player on this list, Tobias Harris, I think is someone who hasn't really become mainstream outside of NBA Twitter yet, who is basically a borderline all-star and is going to get a lot of money this summer. And people are going to be like, is Tobias Harris really worth $23 million a year, yeah. $25 million a year? Well, the way he's playing this year, I think so. Um, and so he's on my list and then at center or whatever you want to, I don't really do positions, I guess, but, um, Jared Allen and Wendell Carter Jr., two young centers who have been, you know, pretty impressive, obviously in different stages. Allen's his second year. He's taken another step in his development. Wendell Carter Jr. in his first year has, has looked pretty good. Um, I mean, actually he's been, he looked really good for the most part. Um, obviously inconsistency plagues him as a young guy. And then Montrez Harrell, who's gotten a lot of buzz on Twitter, but again, someone who hasn't really gotten recognition outside of it. They start Marcin Gortat, but they only play him like 10 to 15 minutes a game. Harold's playing in the mid to upper 20s, um, and he's putting up a career year. Um, and he signed a two-year $12 million deal this past summer. You know, if he hadn't signed that, and if he was going to be restricted, if he was going to be a, a free agent this summer, he would have been getting a lot of money based on this. Obviously, he's undersized, and he always hurts your rebounding, but he brings the energy, he brings the athleticism, and just kind of an infectious presence. I mean, we've talked about him basically. Um, almost every episode of the pod, it feels like how he's kind of like what we thought Kenneth Reed would become on a consistent basis, but he's actually doing yeah. it better, I think. Um, so those are that's my list of guys who I don't really think are mainstream. I, I highly doubt any of them actually besides maybe Tobias um, and maybe like Shay and maybe Wendell Carter um, will actually become mainstream, but it's fun nonetheless. I like your list 
a whole lot better than mine. But yes, those guys were really cool. And you, you took some thoughts, especially the Clipper guys. I don't know how I missed um, Montrez Howell, but hasn't he been balling? He's been. He oh, has man. indeed. Been. It's actually I didn't realize I have three Clippers on my list. Wow. Yeah, that that <laughs> well, was nice. That's basically what the team is. Basically, guys that are not really mainstream. They're, they're that team that doesn't have the star. That's that's winning a lot of games. So, that's what the team's yep. all about. All right. Um, all right. So I'm trying to see. Is that? We got. Uh, oh no, we've got uh, two more. Oh, um, yep. I didn't see those. Another question from at Kennedy Courtney um, asks: uh, What player would you like to see on another team this season who hasn't been an All Star before? Um, I got a couple of candidates. I think there's some of them are you know have been widely discussed. Otto Porter, I think, on a different team where he kind of doesn't have to deal with the dysfunction of the Wizards, and maybe on a team that you know needs or values him more, especially as a wing that can play some defense, can hit threes, etc. That's something I want to see. I, I don't know if we'll ever see it because of his contract, and who knows if the Wizards are going to blow things up if they you know started to turn things around. Um, Trevor Ariza, please just please just get him out of Phoenix. He's just wasting away. I mean. I know he wanted that big payday, and he got it, but come on, like, stop. Like, please, Trevor Reza should not be in Phoenix anymore. Um, something that I've complained about on this pod, Anthony Tolliver. We all know my love for Anthony Tolliver, <laughs> but um, since the yeah. Butler trade, he has played nine minutes total, um, and that's weeks' worth uh, of games, pretty much. And he can still help a team. He's not like a lost player. He's not like a Ryan Anderson. He's a guy who can hit threes. He's not a complete uh, sieve defensively. He can play some – he is a veteran. He knows his presence. He knows his role. He's going to fit in. Um, he's not like a lost body. I mean, he can still help people. Um, Kylo Quinn, quality backup big, but he's a third-string you know, center in Indiana. He's only played 75 minutes total this entire season. Um, wow. Listen, you're behind Turner. You're behind Sabonis, who's a center. They don't want to play Sabonis and Turner together that much for floor spacing reasons. And yet Kylo Quinn – who was like really one of the best backup bigs last year um, should be not should be somewhere else besides being a third string center in Indiana, but alas he's still there. And my final one is George Hill um, because he can still give you some quality backcourt minutes. Um, he's not taking that many threes this year, but he's hit forty six point four percent of them. Um, and the Cavs can make more room for the young guys if they trade them away. So these are mostly actually they're pretty much all veteran players, but some of them are definitely you know towards the end of their careers. Um, but these are all guys who are stuck on teams that um, either they don't have a big enough role or they don't fit with the timeline or there's kind of dysfunction like Otto Porter's case. All players that I have not been an all-star that I would like to see on another team you know, in the near future. See, that threw me off that last part where this says not an all-star. Because at first I'm like, oh, another team, Kemba Walker. Yeah. But that nailed out. And then I was like, oh, who have been an all-star team that want to be an all-star team? Steven Adams. But again, not applicable to the question. Um. I have a couple of Brooklyn Nets. I think Damari Carroll and Jared Dudley, who actually I think would be really cool on the Rockets. Um, Jared Dudley would just be horrible on the defensive end, but um, he can at least shoot more threes. He can't threes get much worse than they already are. So uh, I was <laughs> going to say he can shoot more threes, and it's not looking pretty defensively there anyway. <laughs> um, when, you're 20, then, when you're 25th defensively, you do not talk about, oh, this guy's going to be terrible defensively because you already <laughs> are terrible defensively. That's how it works. There you are. And I think Damari Carroll, although he is, what, 32, um, 33 in that area, he's still a, a great 3 and D guy um, as long as he's not – you know, misrepresented as LeBron stopper, I think he'll be just fine. Um, another player, Michael Kilgitras, although I do think he's getting decent time, um, he's actually getting more time than I would like him to see, especially with Miles Bridges um, being available um, for for the Hornets. I forgot who just got injured on that team. Marvin Williams did. Uh, Marvin Williams, there you go. And they guess they give him, thank you, they're giving Michael Kilgitras more minutes over Miles Bridges, who I think it should be opposite, but I think Michael Kidd Giltris is still a player who has, you know, enough versatility 
not being the best of shooters, but being able to create offense, you know, through some passing, a little bit of rebounding, a little bit of everything else. Um, that's a player that I think could be on a better fit. Um, on that same token, I guess the Hornets have a few players like that while they try to figure out their direction. Um, Jeremy Lamb could be instant offense as a, a contender, um, you know, coming off the bench maybe because he's not going to be a starting um, shooting guard on a team that is you know, competent or very good, but he could still be someone who comes off the bench and brings you some more offense. You can kind of play through him as, you know, a, a prime, a secondary ball handler. I mean, look at Houston could use him too. Um, <laughs> you know, some of that sort. Boy, t- that would be one funny circle of events. If they actually got Jeremy Lamb back after using him to trade for James Harden. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> it was another funny one. I think I was just on Twitter and this is another one I was going to say, you mentioned Trevor Reza. Um, you know, Houston trades Brandon Knight in a pick to Phoenix for Trevor Reason. Oh god, I don't, I'm not sure Brandon Knight can be traded back to Phoenix. Actually, I, I you know I was just thinking that, but it would it would be hilarious in the 2K coming out because <laughs> guess what? Phoenix needs a point guard, and you know Houston needs everything. But um, uh, no, Dallas has two Wesley Matthews. I think could still get some run. Um, not really that. I mean, he's still a decent defender. Not the vaunted, you know, the defender that he was back in the day, but he's still available. Um, DeAndre Jordan's kind of stuck there, but Harrison Barnes I like, although he's with the contract and everything, he's just going to be there. But he's a player I like to see on a different team. And then, last but not least, and this isn't exactly the most, like, it's not the most feasible, I guess, but maybe getting, you mentioned the Pacers, maybe getting Darren Collison out. Um, I think you have a Corey Joseph there. You're kind of light on point guard as is, but I think there are some teams that could use a player like Darren Collison to just kind of, you know, he, he's almost in that George Hill mold. I think he's even less offensively aggressive than George Hill, but just kind of give the team their offense, you know, kind of get out the way. His shot takes a long time to load up, but I think would be good on, on, on a, a team. He's great on the Pacers as is, but I, I would say on the Western Conference, a team that, you know, another, another point guard adds some depth there. Maybe him on Utah would be interesting, but anyway. That's that's my little lackluster list. <laughs> that would be interesting, and it's a, a solid list. You got some similar players there. Um, so yeah, let's wrap up with our last question from at Dan twenty forty four. The Nets have two point guards that might be tradable in D'Lo and Dinwiddie. Which is more interesting to other teams, and which do you think the Nets would rather keep for next season? And it's probably the same person. So, I was going to say, this is a fascinating question, mainly because these two players are having very similar seasons. Um, You know, they've got, you look at the stats, and and so Russell takes a lot more shots than Dinwiddie does. Russell only plays basically less than a a minute more per game than Dinwiddie. Obviously, he starts and Dinwiddie comes off the bench, but Dinwiddie plays 28 and a half minutes per game. Russell plays 29.1. Yet, Russell takes over five more shots per game, um, and he's a, a lot less efficient. Um, so, Russell puts up 18 points, 5.7 assists, four rebounds. Dinwiddie puts up 15.7 points, basically five assists and two and a half rebounds. Um, he's got a better uh, effective field goal percentage. He's, he's a lot more efficient, like I said. Better true shooting percentage by over 9%. PER is basically the same for both people, Seventeen, around 17 for both. Um, box plus minus, Russell has a better one. He has a better VORP. Um, Dinwiddie has a better, has more win shares. He has a better win share per 48 minutes. Dinwiddie has a better net rating, even though they're both in the negative. Russell's net rating is negative 5.9. Dinwiddie is negative 4.3. Um, and it's interesting. There's two different perspectives here. I think for other teams, 
I think Russell is more intriguing, especially to rebuilding teams because he's only 22. And, you know, people can still probably talk themselves into him being – I think at this point – what we've seen from him, he's put up good numbers recently, but they have not won. I mean, who, they have lost eight straight, um, including a complete collapse um, against OK, OKC, which I saw in person, by the way. I was oh, blessed to goodness. see Paul George, 47 points, 25-point fourth quarter, game-winning three. It was a great game, basically, from the end of the third on. Um, it's kind of a blowout for the first couple quarters. But, I mean, a complete collapse, which is what the Nets have been doing over the past couple of, of games. They've lost eight straight. I think they're 2-10 and 10 or 2-11 and 11 without Levert, who is their clear best player at this point. It's, it's evident. Um, but at this point, Russell's putting up numbers, but I do think that teams are kind of I think t- teams are finally kind of uh, out on him being like, okay, if we get this guy, he's going to be our, our point guard of the future to, to lead us. Because, again, another year of a negative net rating. The team's not winning. He's inefficient. He's putting up good scoring numbers. He can diss the ball a little bit. But my problem with Russell is he's too slow to get by bigs a, a lot of the time. His release is pretty slow in terms of catching and shooting on a, on a quick motion um, and not getting blocked or not getting you know, you know, contested. Um, and his vision isn't as elite as you would want from your lead guard. Dinwiddie obviously is not a great passer. Uh, he's obviously a big dude, um, but he has that quickness. He has that burst. You see him sometimes get a big on him, and he's going to blow right to the rim. Well, Russell's going to, you know, do these herky jerky moves and either get to this contested floater or this, you know, step back mid range jumper. I mean, I think Russell, because of his age and his kind of explosive scoring potential, is more intriguing to other teams, especially rebuilding teams. I think for the Nets themselves, it likes likely comes down to the price tag of the players because. Russell is going to be a restricted free agent like we've talked about. I think if a team throws him a somewhat big offer, I don't know what that would be, maybe like four years, $60 million or something like that, I'm not sure if Brooklyn would match because I think that there, the reports are is that Dinwiddie wants to sign the extension with the Nets, and he's eligible to sign it, I think, starting tomorrow, honestly, um, and it would be four years, $48 million. That's the absolute max they can give him. If, they get the, Nets, if the Nets get Dinwiddie on that um, contract or a little bit cheaper – I think it would make him a more reasonable choice. He's only 25. I know he's three years older, but it's not like he's... he's I was going to say. He's not out of their timeline. I mean, Levert is, what, 24, I think. Allen is 21, turning 22, I think. Um, he's not He's not completely out of their timeline. He's not 27. He's not 29. He's 25, and he hasn't played that much in the league, so it's not like his body should be that worn down. Um, I would choose Dinwiddie because he'll probably be cheaper, and he's a little bit better, in my opinion, this time. But I think for other teams, Russell's more intriguing. Yeah, because I'm actually going to go... On that way, I'm going to go with D'Angelo Russell. Um, you gave great points. And Spencer Dinwiddie, honestly, if they were both the same, I think age and potential for me matters. I still think that there is room for both to grow. I do think that the ceiling is higher for Russell, even though, like you said, there are certain things concerning about his ability to get to the basket um, consistently and successfully, um, his ability to convert at the basket once he gets there, um, breaking down defenders, all of that. Like you said, the shot is slow. Um not exactly. I, I think I, I have a lot more confidence in the shot. Like I said, it's not Darren Collison so where I've seen him totally be taken out of, you know, ability to take the shot because it takes him so long to get it up and out. I do think that Russell, um, while, while having a slower release, is still a more consistent, um, better shot against defense, um, although he does love that contested jumper. However, yeah, being 22 um, to 25, I do think there is more to grow. And Russell's been playing – I mean, it is a thing. I think that for him is really just showing how – much he can sustain his level of play because 29 minutes you already mentioned all the advanced stats 18 points 5.7 assists 1.3 steals a night um had a, a recent loss to philadelphia right 38 38 points eight rebounds eight assists it's really all about sustaining that and then defensively where i think he's improved in that area 
Um, he's not going to be a Drew Holiday or something, but he's averaging 1.3 steals a game. He's already had four games already with three or more steals. Um, Brooklyn ranks 19th among the league in defensive rating. And, you know, three-point strides, he's still a very strong three-point shooter. So I would actually take him. I think that if you had in this Eastern Conference who had more of a chance to be an all-star in the East, I still think you would give it to D'Angelo Russell. Um, let's say next season Brooklyn plays better than expected and D'Angelo Russell's putting up the same kind of numbers that he is with, you know, let's say Karis LeVert being up there and, and Jared Allen playing well. I still think there is more all-star potential on the side of a player of D'Angelo Russell's caliber. Whereas Spencer Dinwiddie, yeah, if you pay for him right now, you're basically paying up through his prime. What, 26 through 29 or 26 through 30? That's great. D'Angelo Russell, you get him through those still development years right up to his peak, you know, toward his prime. So I have a lot more confidence in him. But um, right now, I mean, Spencer's definitely the more solid of the point guards. And, and, and you kind of know what you're going to get on a consistent basis from him. Yeah, and that's what makes the question interesting is, like, you have to figure out, you know, for which team exactly is the one potentially deciding between the two. If it's the Nets, what are they really looking for? I mean, are they looking for the consistent guy who probably has less upside but might be cheaper? Or are they looking for the guy with more upside who might be a little bit more expensive, um, who requires a little bit more defense around him? You know, we'll see. I mean, we'll, their decision will be coming in the near future, probably. Um <laughs> So, yeah, all right, that'll wrap up our mailbag. Whew, a 52-minute mailbag. That's definitely our Whoa. longest one. That's a new record for us. Um, but that's because we had great questions. I think, I think we'd be happy to do mailbags that this long every week if we got this, you know, this set of questions. Um, but some weeks we actually have more interesting topics to dive into. But this week we decided we're changing the structure of the show, if you couldn't tell by now, obviously. Um, <laughs> what? We're not doing the segments um, – as much anymore um, because we felt a little bit too constricted. Um, you know, we wanted to do some funky topics like the one we're going to do right now in terms of ranking our top 10 league pass teams. Um, it's a top, and this is interesting because we're doing it during the year. Everyone does it before the year. Um, but now that we've had a chance to actually watch some of these teams and some of these teams are playing better or maybe a little bit different than we thought, my rankings have changed since, since the beginning of the season. Um, so I kind of cheated here and I'll get to it. I have eight teams and then my nine and 10 spots are just like six teams compiled together. Um, but I, I have to clarify that a lot of these rankings are based off which it, what is my favorite style of play, of course, is that I love fast-paced teams, I love a lot of threes, and I love great passing and ball movement. So if you're a team that has one or multiple of those components, you're going to be high on my list. So I guess we can go... I'll, I'll throw out my top five, um, and then you can throw out your top five, and we'll do it like that. So my first team, Denver Nuggets... Uh, seventh offense, fifth defense, fifth net rating. Um, and basically what it comes down to is Nikola Jokic is basically must-watch this season. I mean, he's a center who's averaging almost eight assists per game. Eight assists per game from Nikola Jokic. Um, he doesn't have to score to take over games. He has the beautiful highlight reel passing. passing. He can stretch it out to the three-point line. His antics are fun and, and weird. And then you combine that with Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, two young guards, make a really, really fun backcourt. Their bench units are, are doing better than I think people expected. Monte Morris has come out of nowhere to be a really, really good backup point guard. And they're going to be getting Barton and Isaiah Thomas back next month, which it could hurt their defense, but also could improve their offense and make them more fun and explosive. And, you know, they, they got great passing. They've got, they shoot threes. They play somewhat a fast pace. Um, but they just have such dynamic, interesting players. And Paul Millsap's healthy and has been huge for them defensively. Um, I just think that, you know, they have the components of just – I mean, if you don't like watching the Nuggets – Man, you're, you're, not watch, you're not watching the right type of basketball. Um, so they're number one for me. Number two is the Bucks. Um, I, I wouldn't have expected to have them this high. 
I thought obviously Giannis is oh Giannis was always kind of must watch and is always a fun experience. But you put floor spacers around him, and you get this incredible result. They're second offensively, seventh defense, and they're first in net rating because Coach Bud has really unlocked them, and he's really just he's modernized them. Um, and really, what, what happens to the Bucks is that they take and they make a lot of three pointers. They are second in the league in three pointers attempted. And they make over thirty six point. They make over thirty six percent of them, um, which ranks near the top ten in terms of three point percentage. They they have the Rockets shot profile. Actually, fun fact. Now that I'm looking at it right now, the Rockets don't take the fewest amount of mid range jumpers. That is actually the Milwaukee Bucks, who are dead last in frequency of mid range jumpers. So they are potentially more analytical than the Rockets are. Um, but yeah, Giannis plus floor spacers plus Middleton emerging as a as a kind of Robin to the Batman. Just a more modern team. They're really fun to watch. Um, my third team, Pelicans. Um, they're they're the they're like the prototypical league pass team that is all offense. <laughs> third in offense, twenty third in defense. But they're tenth in net rating. Obviously, Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis, so he's basically a must watch. But of course, Randall, Miritich, and Drew Holiday are all fun in different ways. Randall kind of that bully ball who can handle the ball in transition. Miritich is bombing away from three-pointers, getting some offensive rebounds, you know, doing whatever he can to score. And then Drew Holiday, who really isn't having a great offensive season, especially shooting the ball. He's been really ice cold from beyond the arc. But, man, those nights where he's locked in defensively are, are really just something to marvel at because he, he can lock down pretty much any guard. Um, and a key plus for the Pelicans – they play at a really, really fast pace, and they have varying styles to attack you with. And, you know, they're a top three offense, which is, again, a perfect league pass recipe, at least for me, based on what kind of basketball I, I like the most. Um, fourth uh, is a team that I will be watching in person tonight, the Toronto Raptors, who are playing wow. the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I'm going to another Nets game. Um, fourth in offense. Living your best life. <laughs> <laughs> fourth in offense, sixth in defense, second in net rating. I mean, you want to talk about a team that executes on both ends of the floor, that's the Toronto Raptors. I mean, they can stifle you on defense with their wings and their switching. They can out-execute you on offense. You, they got Larry becoming a better playmaker. He leads the league in assists. You've got Kawhi, this go-to guy at the end of games now, who knows where to get to his spots and how to get there. And then, of course, you got Kawhi, just an insane defender for most for from for the most part. He's not he's not at like 2016-17 levels of defense, but he's he's getting close. Um, and then, like we mentioned before in the mailbag, Pascal Siakam running in transition with that patent and spin move that he's just kind of made up now. Um, that bumps him up a few spots alone, I think. Just Pascal Siakam alone um, bumps him up. But they got Valanciunas, that bruising big man coming off the bench. Ibaka's playing better. Danny Green has was been a great addition to their team, and somehow they stole him. It included they, so they somehow got him in the Kawhi trade, which is still remarkable to me. Um, but that's a team that executes on both ends. Listen, I know I said that I love offense and fast pace and threes, but I do love really good defense. Um, and that's the Raptors, um, and that's my fifth team, the Memphis Grizzlies. I know, wow. 26 offensively, and they're in my top five, and that's because of their defense. I mean, <laughs> so if you really can only watch offense and fast pace and a lot of threes, which, again, is my favorite style of play, then the Grizzlies are not for you because they are 20th in three-pointers attempted, and they're dead last in pace. Um, but listen, I, I love defense that is executed beautifully, and the Grizzlies are... One of obviously the third third in defense, but they're just one of the best, if not the best, defensive team when they're all engaged and and kind of locked in. Because Marcus Oil is back to defensive player of the year levels. Conley is healthy and kind of leading them on both ends. Jaron Jackson Jr. is growing each night. I mean that that game he had against the Nets where he just 
scored the final seven points to tie to, to tie the game, send it to overtime, finish with like I think 36 points, a couple blocks. Um, those factors. Getting a healthy Gasol and Conley with with Jaron Jackson Jr. Their bench guys are are playing better than we probably expected. Gary Temple's having the best year of his career. All of those aspects make them one of the more enjoyable teams and probably the biggest change in my top 10 since the season started. I knew they were going to be good defensively and pretty bad offensively, but the way they've been executing defensively, the fact that they've stayed healthy, has bumped the Grizzlies into my top five. So Nuggets, Bucks, Pelicans, Raptors, Grizzlies is my top five. Wow. So I'm going to let you know, mine is like the top five from like another universe. But that's because <laughs> I watch, my, when I watch NBA, I mean games in general, I watch, you know, learn how they play. My favorite teams, obviously, so you know the Lakers are getting a lot of run. Um, you know, the style of play, which I like, which is a lot of outside shooting up and down. But I'm also attracted to, like, storylines and, like, um, dumpster fires and, and, and things of that sort. So I did a major cop out of my five because I didn't really do a particular order. I just threw all five out there. And um, I have the numbers out for me also. I had literally offensive rating, defensive rating, um, and let's just say, you know, my quick thoughts about it. But when I restart my computer – those thoughts did not save. So we're just going to kind of go out of here. Um, and it's going to surprise you here. But Brooklyn, Charlotte, OKC, the Clippers, and this is like an answer to your Memphis pick, the San Antonio Spurs. Wow. Yes. So let me kind of go into it. So Brooklyn. <laughs> Please explain I mean, yourself. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I, I, I've always loved Kenny Atkinson's coaching style. I really have. The way he kind of gets the most out of players who really are just sent off to Brooklyn, quote unquote, to waste away. Um and yet they sort of flourished. Karis LeVert, you know, before he got injured, was was playing like a bona fide star. Um, I've been high on D'Angelo Russell since he was in L.A., so of course I'm going to follow him there. Um, these are more personal ties, but I'm from Brooklyn, so I mean, I got to watch the Nets in that sense. And, I, and they're not the dumpster fire they were, you know, 2014 through 17, so, you know, I can actually not cover my eyes half as much. They have an interesting battle between D'Lo and Dinwiddie that's always cool to see, you know, how they play from game to game. Um, Ronda Hollis Jefferson and where Kenny Atkinson puts him, Alan Crabb, and and the way he's just kind of disappeared since leaving. <laughs> he's like the one player who I thought would flourish in Brooklyn, who's really just had a horrible year so far. But it's the type of up and down style play that I like to see with some young players you can really get behind and root for. So that's Brooklyn. Charlotte, really just one player. Kemba, Kemba Ballin, all of that. He's really had a last uh, rough couple of games. I mean, I think his shooting percentage has dropped to just subhuman levels as far as how hot Supernova he was, as how hot he was um, so far this year. But he's like the one player I already vowed to watch for the entirety of the season just because I really think that this is breakout year, and it still is. So he's a player I like. Um, but while watching him, it was, it was cool to see Frank Kaminsky kind of break out and get some more minutes and, and prove, hey, you know, he can see the floor of an NBA team. Michael Kid Giltris um, actually taking threes again. Um, I think he was like 4 of 10 or 4 of 11, but um, not in one game this season. However, the fact that, you know, with his interesting jump shot, he had kind of gotten away from shooting threes and shooting mid-range shots and really shooting at all. And now it's like, okay, he's starting to get that confidence back. Jeremy Lambs, we already talked about him a little bit, but he's a sneaky good shooting guard who I like to see. Tony Parker has been playing pretty well out there. And, you know, just to see that he's still alive. That's really why I watch them. The storyline and Kemba Walker being one of my favorite players. Um, you could say the same thing with OKC who, I mean, they not only have been playing, but they were 0-4, and I think they're 16-4 now, 17-4. This is the turnaround they've had. But you have the storyline. You have Russell Westbrook. He's as engaging a player as there is in the NBA. Paul George having just a career year so far. Um, their bench, which is just newly improved 
with Dennis Schroeder, um, Nerlens Noel, who's had a solid season, Patrick Patterson, who can't hit a three, but it's still cool to watch. Um, that That's why I watched them. And I didn't – oh, man, this is why the numbers would add more context to what I'm trying to say here. But they've been a rock-solid defensive team. And offensively, they've won games ugly um, when they've had – you know, yesterday you mentioned – or not yesterday, I think. Yeah, it was the day before yesterday. Anyway, the Brooklyn Nets game. So two days ago where, yeah, it was an ugly game, kind of a blowout. And then, you know, OKC came back and won. And that was partly for a, a, a great performance by Paul George, especially in that fourth quarter. And partly because defensively they locked down and really prevented Brooklyn from getting looks that they wanted and took control of that game, you know, and turned the tide of it. So that's another team. Um, now we're going down to the Clippers. Shai Gilgis Alexander. Great rookie out there. Um, just a bunch of pieces. Tobias Harris, you already talked about him. A bunch of pieces in, in in Los Angeles, helmed by a coach who's really good and at his best, it seems, when it comes to cobbling together a team that is, you know, a, 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 a pretty good team, but of players that you normally wouldn't have on your mind. You know what I'm saying? You take all these players, you put them in this pot, and I think of all the coaches out there, and there's a few, you know, upper echelon elite coaches who could probably get similar, if not better, performances out of these guys. I think there's none more qualified than Doc Rivers to take, you know, not really a no-name Clippers team, but a Clippers team that is just playing um, better than the sum of their parts. And every time they play, it's fun games. Um, seeing Lou Williams go down to stretch, they seem to always get into these fun, like, last um, five minutes left in the game, and they're right there, you know, where they're going to pull it out or just hang around. Um, they had a game like that against Dallas, um, the game against the Warriors. They, they just have these types of games. So they're just a fun team to watch. And then lastly, the Spurs. Now, <sighs> the Spurs. Um, here's the thing. I like the Spurs because almost like I'm looking at like an 80s, 90s NBA game. <laughs> okay, that's that's literally the, the the reason why I watched them. Because, yes, they're an eyesore offensively. They I think they take the least amount of threes. They make the least amount of threes. They love shooting the mid-range. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan live right there, so that's kind of where you're getting... Um, their point guard play is less than spectacular, but then all of their point guards are pretty much injured, so you kind of know what you're getting there. Defensively, they're horrid, and I, I think this is just, for me, it's a study of a team that, you know, of a dynasty when it's over. I think that that's interesting for me. Um, Greg Popovich is really, you know, trying to make things work here, but this team is just, they're not a, a defensive team by any stretch of the imagination, and their offense is archaic. But for me, it's interesting to see. I think DeMar DeRozan, he's kind of fallen back to the mean, but he's been having a strong year, um, averaging, I'd say, easily the most assists of his career this season and showing you know, a lot more playmaking ability than I think any of us saw going into this year. And even Greg Popovich said how impressed that he was. Um, Marcus Aldridge, I think it's a regression season for him. Definitely not as strong, but watching these players and, I don't know, I, they're, they're a team that's like, they're bad, they're bad. And in this Western Conference, I think, They'll be dead last if not for the Suns, although take that with a major grain of salt because they're, what, four and a half games out? Like, it's it's still a very tight Western Conference bloodbath out there. So that's there. But I like watching, I don't know, like curiously bad teams. I know when we came and I was trying to explain my, my theory to you um, about Cleveland, I thought that Cleveland would be a team I would tune into, and I had them in my top five league pass. Why? Because I knew that they would be a bad team, but I thought, hey, they'd be just competitive enough to keep my attention. And that is the kind of team that I like to kind of have in the mix. However, Cleveland's just awful. So yeah. they've, I, I, I don't even watch them really anymore. Um, I watched the first half of the Cleveland Warrior game, and that was really just because, you know, pouring out to the old clashes of the <laughs> last years. But um, And even that was entertaining. And then once, you know, Steph Curry started really well, and I was like, yeah, Cleveland, we know. So that's my that's my team. I'm a lot, like I said, a lot more unorthodox in my league has viewing. But it has to fit in my style of play or have teams – 
or have not teams have have play styles or players that I'm personally attracted to. Like I watch the Bucks, but they're not my top five. I see them play, I'm going to watch them. But like if I see Brooklyn playing, or if I see like a Brooklyn Hornets matchup, that's 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 what I'm tuning into. Like it doesn't matter. That's what I'm watching. Um, and and that kind of gets my attention. The Brooklyn the Brooklyn um Thunder game. I was all in on that. Those are my top. Those are two of my top five teams. So. Like, that's a no-brainer, and for totally different reasons, because I do not like the way OKC plays offensively. I really don't, but I like the players on the team. You know, as far as, like, how they play and watching them, and I'm a big Russell Westbrook fan, and Paul George has been having a strong year, and I think keeping on that's important. So that's kind of where I get my five. So hopefully that put some context and made some sense of my morass of non-traditional <laughs> league pass teams. Well, that's the best thing about league pass teams, is that there's so many factors that go into it. You know, some teams, it's just one player. Some teams, it's multiple players, but their style of play is not really what you like. Some teams, you don't really, they don't have, like, a, a player you really want to watch, but their style of play is just so beautiful or just what you like to see. Like, for the example, the Nets. Like, there are so many things that go into the, your the league pass teams that are, that are the most enjoyable to watch, you know, for each different person, which makes each set of rankings different. Um, but let me round out my list. I also have the Hornets, like you, they're they're my sixth team because, I mean, really they're, they're kind of like the Bucks. They're a more modern team this season. They're tenth in three pointers attempted. They're twelfth in pace, um, sixth offensively, which is elite. Fifteenth defensively. They're ninth in net rating, even though they're below five hundred again because they can't close out any close games. Um, again, this is like you said, it's really all about Kemba. Twenty six and six this season. He's I think he's definitely become one of the top 10 must-watch players. Not best players, must-watch in terms of, like, this guy's going to explode one night for 40 and you never know what's going to come. And it's just, like, you get the league pass notifications. You know, Kemba's going off. He's got 35 at the end of the third quarter or something like that. Um, but then you also, you also had in Malik Monk and, and, and Bridges flying around. That's that's fun. Jeremy Lamb, like we talked about, is quietly having another solid season. Um, none of those guys can handle a burden enough to, you know, take off of Kemba's load and, and make them a, a better team. But they're still fun for league pass rankings-wise. I have the Clippers, seventh. <laughs> we have a lot of similarities, I think. Um, <laughs> fifth offensively, 13th defensively, seventh net rating. Um, again, I, there, you mentioned storylines, and I, I I love the fact that this team personifies that no-star mentality or that storyline of, like, how they have, don't have a star. They might not have an all-star. They probably won't, actually. Um <laughs> But yet they have a lot of players I enjoy watching. Patrick Beverly, Montres Hale having a breakout season, Tobias Harris, um, Sweet Lou, always a fun guy to watch. Um, they got a, I like that they're deep. they got a mix of veterans and younger players like um, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, like we mentioned, and are one of the most surprising teams of the season. So it makes them kind of not must-watch, but if I see the Clippers on, I'm probably going to watch them. And There have been a couple of games where it's been Clippers. Clippers-Grizzlies I've seen on two occasions where it's been like such a clash of styles that it's so fun and both teams are on my top ten of league pass teams. I love those random games. I think one was a Sunday afternoon. Like I love those games where it's just complete random that most people don't pay attention to, but because it's two teams in my top ten, I, I have to watch it. Um, yep. What am I on? I'm on eight now, I think. Uh, and the eighth is a complete... They're, they're, they don't play the style of play that I like to watch, and they've been horrible this year, but it's still the Rockets because um, you have those games where Harden or, or CB3, but basically only Harden this year, um, takes over. Like that game against the Wizards with 54 points, 13 assists, like you have to watch it. Um, <laughs> they've, they've had, you know, their ninth offensively, their 24th defensively, 19th in net rating just to give their, their uh, stats. Capella, again, like I mentioned before, not having a, as good a defensive season, but offensively, I mean, he's having the best year of his career. 18 points, 12 rebounds, 2.2 blocks per game. You know, Gordon, as I mentioned, has been has been really bad the entire season. But there was that week stretch. It was last week, really, where he just like went ballistic and shot like 50% from three over a couple of games. Um, the reason why 
I still have them there is they take a lot of threes and they have the star power. And that's, again, two ways that you can be a really fun team to watch sometimes. But they just, I wish they played at a faster pace. They're 29th in the league in pace. Um, I mean, someone tweeted out that the Rockets aren't fun. And I just replied, like, they were fun in Mike D'Antoni's first year, 2016-17, where they had Harden and it was Gordon and Anderson and Ariza and a young, young Capella. They were playing at a fast-paced Again, still shooting a lot of threes. Harden, you know, had a bounce back year. That was a really fun team. Obviously, last year was really fun because they were so good at executing. But last, but this season they're not as good. You know, they're not their execution is not at the level of last year. And when they're, when you know you can play that isolation style of play if you can execute it, that that kind of makes it fun because you've got <laughs> Harden or CP3, you know, crossing big men up and making them look silly or passing to an open three or, or alley oops or something like that. But if you're not executing that isolation system, it's not that fun. But they're still eighth because. It's inconsistent, but you can still have those nights where it's like either a star takes over or the three-pointers, they're going ballistic from beyond the arc or something like that. And uh, this is where I cheated because I'm only at I'm only at 9 and 10 now technically, but I've got one, two, three, four, five teams listed here. So uh, the Nets are one of them, um, especially when they had Karis LeVert. Um, even without LeVert, with, again, I think they're 2 and 10 or 2 and 11, um, they play the right way, like you said. They shoot threes, they avoid the mid-rangers. Um, they don't play as, as fast a pace as you would like. I think they are actually uh, 24th in pace, which is a lot lower than you, one might think. Um, but they got a lot of good role players that you kind of want to root for, like Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, Ed Davis. Like I've got, They've got players I like to root for. Now, you know, it, This is kind of a non-on-the-court thing, but visually, their, their black-and-white kind of color scheme is really visually appealing to me. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> let's see, I got, I've got the Hawks. Um, I know they're one of the worst teams in the league. Um, they, they got Trey Young, and what I like about the Hawks, one, they play at the fastest pace in the league, which is one thing that I love. But the two is that I love that they're just giving the reins off to Young and letting him develop that way rather than being cautious and pulling him in a close game or something like that. No, they're throwing him right into the fire, which I think for their team is what you should do. Um, now that they got John Collins back, he's another really exciting player with that we can posterize people. Um, Toy and Prince is kind of fun, even though he just got injured. Um, Jeremy Lin's kind of having a quiet, quietly under the radar season as a backup. Kent Boysmore is kind of fun. So I like their style of play. And, and Trey Young, who has not shot the ball well at all, his passing has been incredible um, for a rookie. Um, and he's just fun. Um, so we got Nets. Uh, so Blazers is my next team. Um, I really just like watching Dame and CJ. And it's also been kind of interesting to see how their bench kind of fares now that their whole offseason was about letting Davis and Napier go, but then they brought that they brought in um, Nick Stauskas and Seth Curry and let Zach Collins kind of grow. Um, and what's really interesting is that, unlike last year or previous years, where they would stagger Dame and CJ, so always one was always on the floor, they're actually not doing that as much anymore. They're trying to avoid doing that. So you get these moments where it's kind of their full bench unit and Evan Turner's kind of the ball handler, and it's been quirky but fun. Um <laughs> Lakers are definitely up here because you combine LeBron with a lot of young players and a fast pace and you get fun. That's literally what I wrote in my notes. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and I like it, though. a quiet team that people I don't think are talking about enough, and this is a, I have to clarify that this is only post-Jimmy Butler trade, is the Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. Because post-trade, they are 12th offensively. I hope you're sitting down. They are third defensively since that time. Yeah. And what? they have the fourth net rating. They've been they straight up been an elite team since that trade. And what's really great is not only is Towns inserting his presence more like we thought, 
But watching Robert Covington blossom as a defensive player of the year, legit defensive player of the year candidate, is really fun. Because again, like I said before, I love watching defense when it's executed perfectly or beautifully. Um, and this team looks like they're just enjoying playing together more, which again is another fun component of it. So that's my list of top 13, I guess, if you count all the teams um, on my list. I like it. You, we kind of interacted uh, a lot with mine, which, I, like you said, we had a very similar list. So I kind of breezed through a few. Um, I was going to say the Wolves as well. The sum of their parts after the Jim Butler trade is actually quite nice. Um, Robert Covington really making more of an impact. Um, Wish Sarge got a few more minutes, but he's been playing very well. And I did not know that they were third defensively. That is, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, another team, Detroit. I, that, that monster mashup between... Uh, Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin, when it works, it works, and when it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, when they played the Warriors, the Warriors just had literally every possible issue that you could have trying to contend with that because not like these bigs are just big guys. In the case of um, – well, Andre Drummond is skilled in his own way as well, but Blake Griffin and the way that he's able to facilitate, um, he still has a, a very huge, huge usage rate, but – on his shooting, everything, he's been having a very strong year. Definitely all-star caliber year in that East, but I think in general, we've been playing very well. So that's a team I like to watch. Um, also, Dwayne Casey ATLs are, are, are a sneaky treat um, mm-hmm. if you really keep your eye out for them. Um, aside from that, I'm trying to see. The Sacramento Kings have been surprisingly well. Um, De'Aaron Fox is in a revelation at the point guard spot. Buddy Hill's been playing very well. Nemanja Bielitsa, um, although maybe he is or is not getting more minutes than uh, your second-round pick. I mean, not your second-round pick, but the second overall pick. But he's been playing very well, in my opinion, um, shooting and stretching the floor. And they play a, a fast, up-and-down, run-it-down-your-throat style that is um, you know, aesthetically pleasing to watch from a game perspective, even if I don't like really any of those players that are there. Also, Amon Shumpert. Um, <laughs> who thought that he'd still be getting relevant playing time? You know what I mean? Like he's still he's basically for lack of a, of a, a you know a lack of a better option there three, and they also have Yogi Ferrell out there who's still there as well. Frank Mason, um, the third who's also a, a two. These are the two little guards that I've just like watching since so they've been in the NBA. So all in all, a nice little cobbled together team. Um, this is gonna surprise you but just by how bad they are the washington wizards um Mm. i I just watch them because i just try to see what's going wrong i mean yeah so john wall now has been out for personal issues and um you know dwight howard's out and wasn't really that huge of a factor when he came back in but it's almost like an economy of what is going on with the dysfunctional team i mean yes they're bad but if you look at the pieces individually they shouldn't be as bad as they are and when they come through against the Knicks or another, you know, uh, fledgling Eastern Conference team, then you can kind of see what makes it work together. But all in all, they're a team that if they're on, I'll, I'll watch. But only because I, until a move happens, in which case they'll drop out, they're that walking dumpster fire team that I said I, I'm kind of <laughs> oddly attracted to seeing. And then um, I think there's my last team. Uh, don't remember if I had this one. But it, it definitely overlaps with you as well, the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, especially, and you already mentioned, that second unit with Evan Turner as a facilitator is kind of funny. And I really like seeing it. I think that that's his best role because he's not enough of a shooter to play alongside um, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum consistently, but he has just enough of everything to be that second you know, ball handler to kind of man that unit. And then Seth Curry as well there. and, and I mean, they have a, a solid um, a solid group. What's his – oh, my goodness. I just remembered his name. Oh, um Jake Lehman. Uh, mm-hmm. By the way, shout out to Scott Levine for a really good underrated uh, joke <laughs> that didn't get a lot of love on Twitter. I noticed that. I see you, Scott. That was good. Um, he's been playing very well out there. Um, Dame is Dame and CJ CJ, but all in all, a, a very good team. And then I, I was going to cop out and say the Lakers, but I talk about them so much already that I, I couldn't do it. 
<laughs> yeah, that's 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 pretty much all of it. I mentioned Dallas, right? Yeah, I did. If I didn't, Dallas is there as well, and that'll be number eleven. But um, I, I was already high on that combo as soon as DeAndre came because not that you, I didn't want to see Luka Doncic, but now you have that that perfect rim running center, you know that that I think would unlock a lot of lineups for Dallas and, and kind of um, increase their versatility on the offensive end. And although it hasn't come to my realization as perfectly as I would have pictured it, it's still been pretty well. Um, and then, you know, continue, continue to watch the evolution of Dennis Smith Jr., who I'm not real, quite sure is a piece of their future um, moving forward. I'm just going to throw that out there. It's possible. Um, yeah, I think I, I, I kind of subtly, like in the back of my mind, factored in like how much each team is on actual national television when doing these yeah. rankings. So like I still have the Rockets in my top ten, but really the Nuggets aren't on national TV that much. The Bucks a decent amount. Pelicans not that OKC, much. OKC not really. Raptors not that much. Grizzlies no. Hornets no way. Uh, Clippers a little bit because you know, there's only a few West Coast teams that can fit in that like ten thirty slot. Um, Hawks no. Nets no. Blazers yeah they're on a decent amount. Obviously Lakers and the Timberwolves not really. So it's subtle. It's like always in the back of my mind though. I didn't I didn't let it affect my rankings. These are just naturally the teams I like watching the most. But um, you mentioned the Blazers. Um, wouldn't it be fun if they had a, a real, like, small forward or, or at least a real, like, wing, like a Trevor yeah. Reza or an Otto Porter on that team? Like, oh that's gosh. the spot they need. Like, they really wanted Mo Harkless to fill it, but he's been having these knee issues the entire year. Uh, Evan Turner can't shoot and fits better with the ball in his hands in the bench unit. Jake Lehman, like, they've been playing, and he's been actually, like, solid in that role, but he, don't, he doesn't play that much, and you can't really rely on him, you know, in crunch time, you know, when it, come, when it matters most. So if they had a wing, I mean, they're already fun, but, like, I'm just talking about them, like in terms of competing, because they've fallen off recently a little bit, and not because it's they don't have a wing, but just because I'm fig- figuring out what they could do to make another move to kind of give this team a boost. Because if they fall short again, they're probably going to have to make some serious changes. But that's random. Hey, I like it. No, and you're right. That, that I think that would be another interesting one. And I guess we're going to talk about it right now of like if we had to pick teams that just need that one perfect piece to kind of boost them up a totally different level as far as how we see them, you know, ranking wise. Um, yeah. Pel- the the um, Blazers in a wing would be great, and the Pelicans with a wing as well. <laughs> oh yes, because I I deluded myself into thinking Wesley Johnson could be serviceable for them, and they oh, really boy. need like a, a legit wing. <laughs> I've been I've been deluding myself in Wesley Johnson his entire NBA career. Okay, I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> so I have a lot of teams though. <laughs> oh my god, every stop I'm like, okay, he got it. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, all right, yeah, so that'll do it for this week's episode of the 94 NBA podcast. A little fun one, a little bit different one. Um, next week we're planning to do our awards episode. Um, so we'll do some research and pick our award front runners for the first quarter of the season. Um, so definitely be checking out that. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. You can follow the site on Twitter at the 94 underscore. You can check out our website at the 94 feet.com. Um, and Corbin, you can follow, tell everyone where they can follow and engage with you. Oh, at Corman Ford NBA. Uh, been out a while, but I'm back there. Um, also, I'll be going this upcoming week at I'm, I'm not going, but basically at 94. Always, please follow that. There'll be some stuff popping up there. Also on Facebook, also on Instagram. So keep your eyes out open for that. Um, and then yeah, I mean, there's just so much out there, especially on 94 as far as the podcast every day, the Daily Show, the Restricted Area Pod, the Red Team Pod, our podcast right now, um, the Hardwood um, History great pod as well as the columns that are out all through the week so just keep your eyes out for that definitely see us on the twitterverse and um those are the plugs yeah definitely check out all of our content follow us and you'll get updates for next week's episode of course we're going to ask for more mailbag questions next week but probably not as many um and yeah have a great (laughs) week of watching nba basketball take care all right y'all